are ready. Come on. The unknowns. Uh, we have been waiting for this series for probably about a year and a half. That's about how long it's taken to get to this point. Uh, we are extremely excited about this series. Uh, you're going to see a lot of different people preaching uh, about an unknown somebody. How many of you guys know that we read the Bible a lot, we talk about the Bible a lot, and we know all the main characters, but there are the supporting roles. There's the, there's the okay, it's like this. If you read the one-year Bible, if you miss one day in the Old Testament, right? For some of you, you're like, I never read the Old Testament. I just go to the New Testament. I, you know, I don't understand all that, right? Then there is a ton of stories that you miss out on. And, uh, and even, the sto- I mean, like today, the story that we're going to talk about is 13 verses long. It's only 13 verses long. Uh, but if you really delve into the story, you read into it, there's so much, there's so much things about it. There's so many layers about it that it's, uh, it's a little bit scary because you're like, Man, how many other things am I missing when I read the Word of God? You know, how many, how many word pictures, how many types and shadows, all these things am I missing? Uh, because really, we'd have to take every verse and break down every word, all right? And uh, we should all be Hebrew scholars as well. That would help. But uh, that's not reality. But today, we are going to be talking about um, a guy named Phineas, all right? Phineas. I read this story a long time ago, and uh, the first time I read it, I thought it was cool because of the way that it ended. And then uh, over the years, I've read it a few different times, and uh, uh, you know, I actually actually preached on this story years ago. And um, but even this week, as I was studying it, a whole new dimension of the story came came out. And uh, it's a very exciting story. I will say this: if you've got some young children, I don't know, uh, you might want to, you know, this might be a great day to take them to the kids ministry. All right. <laughs> We're talking Old Testament, y'all. All All right, there's some stuff in here. Uh, If you read the Bible just word for word, it's, what? That's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. All right. Just shows you how messed up up humanity's been for how many years now, right? (laughs) So so anyway, I have a few goals for today. I got a few goals in this message, through through this message. One is that I want you guys to realize that the the tactics of the enemy haven't changed since the beginning of, of mankind. All right, we're not, we might be dealing with different, like, fruit on a tree, all right, different fruits, different ways that the enemy might entice or, or mess with people, but it's all the same tact- tactics, okay? And I also want you to be challenged to be ruthless with sin in your life, all right, ruthless with it, uh, not accepting it, not compromising, and just allowing sin to grow and fester in your life, all right? And then also, I believe an important part of that is, is that we repent. All right, now repent is, is something, repent, you know, and it's this, repentance is a great thing. It's actually a very positive thing. Whenever you repent of your sin and you turn, uh, there's instant relief, all right? You, th- that sin is, is taken away, uh, that sin is forgiven by God, and repentance is a great thing, and we refer to it sometimes as the fountain of youth for your soul. All right, you repent, and it's just, a, it, sin only has power in silence, all right? It's just the way it is. You get caught up in sin, and you get caught up in some habit or whatever, and you're all quiet about it, and you feel like you got to uphold something, and then guess what? You're trapped by it. Now you can't tell anybody. Now you can't confess and be healed like the Bible talks about in James, right? So you're, you're just stuck in this cycle of sinning and trying to deal with it on your own. Whenever just repenting and confessing sin, it's a great thing, all right? I remember whenever I was, I was a teenager, 
you know, making bad choices and all of a sudden dad finds out and you're like, thank God, I just wanted to really tell you. I just wanted to let you know, you know, but so anyway, that, that's kind of the goal about today. And so if you want to open up your Bible or, or open up your app or whatever you got, Numbers 25, we're not going anywhere else today. All right, so even if it takes you five minutes, eventually you'll get to where you need to be and, uh, and then you won't have to turn anywhere else. Numbers 25. Like I said, we're going to be talking about Phineas, but it's going to take us a few minutes to get to where he comes into the story. All right. Uh, uh, one thing about developing a character is you need to know the context around which they are in at that moment. All right. So, so verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 25, it says this, while Israel lived in Shittim, let's stop there. You're like, oh no, this is going to be one of those messages <laughs> three hours later. All right. The next word, um, but... Okay, Israel is living in Shittim. They've settled in a place right before they cross over the Jordan River, okay? And uh, they're about to go into Jericho and continue, but they, they stop, right? And they, and they beca- begin to kind of live in this place, Shittim, all right? Now, it's, it's around, it's in the land of Moab. It's, there's Midianites and Moabites all around, okay? So just for you guys to kind of picture where they're at in their journey. Uh, the people... It says, the people begin to whore with the daughters of Moab. I told you that you might want to get your kids out of here, but you didn't listen, so here we go. All right. The people begin to whore with the daughters of Moab. You know what that means. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked, them, yoked himself to Baal of Pur, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Okay, so Baal of Peor, just so you know what it is, it's a god that was worshipped uh, and always had a lot to do with sexual perversion. There was a lot of sex, a lot of, I mean, orgies, the whole nine yards. And that's really what's going on here, all right? I'm just going to say it. It's not just a small little, oh, they're beginning to bow down and worship gods. This is grotesque sin. And uh, many, many people are involved from all over the country. And the people of God, the children of Israel, get involved in this. Okay, it says they, they, they yoked themselves together with them, all right, and we're going to get to that in a second, but I want you guys to realize that this isn't just like a, a little statue and they, they kind of worship here and there, this is, it's perverted in a major way, the people of God. So, and God's angry about it, can you imagine? I would think God would be angry about that. Verse 4. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, the people that were really kind of running things, Moses was over them, said, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Basically, go to the people that are the ringleaders in this, the people that are, are setting the precedence that people are following, I want you to go find them, I want you to execute them, because God is telling us to do that. Okay, you're like, that doesn't sound like the God that I serve, that's why we need to know the whole Bible, all right? Uh, there, there's a lot of things that God hates, and aren't you glad that God doesn't handle things like this today? Yes. Every time I read stuff like this, I'm like, God, I just thank you that it's 2016, you know? <laughs> Because I have a feeling I'd be on the wrong side of this somehow, you know? But, um, but it says this thing about being yoked. And I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about that for just a second. You guys know when, uh, when in farming and things, they, sometimes they yoke animals together. 
A lot of times now we just get a, a big green tractor out there and take care of business. But if you had oxen, you would yoke them together and it's like this piece of wood that goes over the top of their neck and there's like a rope or some sort of piece of steel that it ties them together. And usually the stronger one takes over and the other one just kind of follows wherever. He says yoked. They yoked themselves to ungodly people. They, they were in relationship with people that begin to control them and draw them away from what, who they were really supposed to be. And the Bible also mentions about being unequally yoked later in the Bible. Do you guys know that it's very important, the relationships that we have? I'm talking whether it's, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend type stuff, whether it's just friends that you go and you hang out with, the environments that you put yourself in and the friends that you yoke yourself with is very important. I wonder how often we actually pray and seek God and, and try to identify the relationships that we have and not just blindly walk into relationships, just, eh, you know, that's what the children of Israel did. They're going through the wilderness. They're almost done. Uh, can you imagine? This has been like 40 years. It's been a long time. And they fell a bunch of times, but here they are. They're right on the, the brink. And here they, they yoke themselves together with unbelievers, and it begins to affect them, okay? And so, so that's what's going on. Can you guys picture it? You're picturing this with me, all right? It's not a fairy tale. This is real stuff. And so they're, they're unequally yoked. And then verse 6 comes in. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And I want to stop right here, and I kind of want to, I'm going to take a few minutes here, because a lot of times the, the, the Bible is a little bit vague. You know that? It might go from verse 6 to verse 7, and it just skipped 90 years. And we're just like, that's, that's cool. She's 90 years. 90 years just went by, all right? I think we might have missed a couple of things in, in the, you know, the dotted lines here. We, we missed something. And um, so I, I begin to study this story, and uh, there's a lot of Jewish traditions that are out there, and, and a lot of books that you can read that are like commentaries that kind of fill in some of the gaps for you in these stories. And I begin to read about this story, and this part right here where it says a, a guy walks up with this woman and presents him, and then all of a sudden it's done, right? We, what, what, wait, hold on. What did that actually mean? What was going on there, right? And so we, we kind of go there, and, and I'm going to skip a few verses real quick and just tell you who this guy is and who this woman is, because uh, later in the chapter it does. But the man, his name is Zimri, all right? He's an Israelite, but he's not just any old Israelite. He's a prince. He's a prince in the tribe of Simeon. He's a big deal, all right? His, his tent smelt of rich mahogany. I mean, this guy, he's a big deal, okay? And... Uh, and, and his name means praise or, or my praise. The Midianite woman, her name is Cosby. She's a Midianite princess. Again, not just some person randomly showed up. These are prominent figures. They have followings. They have clout. They got security guards. You know, they never drive anywhere. They got drivers. I mean, these, these are big name people. And so this guy... He, you know, his name means praise. Her name means deceiver or deception. Can you already see the, how the, the names, how, how much they mean, all right? Deceived praise. And this guy, uh, Zimri, what, what happens is in the story, 
they begin to execute people like we just read. Moses starts executing people. And Zimri is obviously involved in this type of worship. That's what's going on. So people in his tribe, in the, in the Jewish tradition, it says that people in his tribe go to him and they say, what are you going to do about it, basically? You've led us into this. Now, here we are. Now they're starting to kill people. You got to do something. So it says that, that Zimri, he went and he, uh, he found this Midianite princess and he goes and he goes to the, uh, the tabernacle. Now, you got to picture something. If Moses has just decreed that all these people should be getting slain, these are family members. These are, these are people that are connected to the, the, the tribes. So these people are at the, the tabernacle and they're weeping. Can you imagine the pressure that Moses is underneath at that moment? He just said, hey guys, God just told me that we've got to start executing everyone. And I'm sure they're like, did, did you, are, are you sure? <laughs> Maybe you misunderstood. No, I'm pretty sure we have to start killing everyone, all right? That's the day you don't want to be number one, all right? Somebody comes to you, you're like one of the supporting people, and you're like, I don't know what we're doing. You got to go to Moses. You just got to go to him, man. We're killing everybody. This is bad. But can you imagine the chaos that's setting in? I mean, let's, let's put ourselves there. Let's think about it. It's anarchy. I mean, people are running. People are freaking out. Uh, I'm sure there's fights going on. I mean, people aren't just like, okay, I've been involved in that sin. I'll be executed. And they just go, no, nah, man, it's like a war. And so Zimri is like, man, I I'm going to do something. I'm going to fight for my people. It says that he gathered 24,000 people out of his tribe. And, and he goes and he grabs this woman, Cosby. And they go to the foot of the tabernacle. They go to the entrance of the tabernacle where Moses is and all these people are. It's chaos. And it says in, in these books that, that Zimri actually went and he takes this Midianite woman and he says, he says, who are you basically to tell me that this woman is not permitted for me, that I can't have her? Matter of fact, what about you, Moses? You have a Midianite wife yourself. Moses was married to Midianite. Now that, was, that happened before all of you know, the laws and everything God put into place. Can you imagine how awkward that moment was? Has somebody ever stumped you? <laughs> you're standing there and yes, yeah, ah, and then somebody's like, yeah, but what about, and you're like, no big deal, it's fine, everything's good. You know? I don't know, we don't know what went on in this moment, but let's just read it and let's kind of put some pieces together. I think it was kind of awkward. Zimri was very defiant. He was very defiant. Can you imagine the guts that this guy had to walk up to Moses? I mean, come on, you know the stories. You know what happened. The plagues, Moses stands up, the Red Sea parts, all this great stuff is happening. And you have the, the guts to walk up and, and just face up Moses? Yeah, he did. He was defiant. This is, this is the, the type of atmosphere that's going on in this, in this place. So... So you got the tribe, you got the defiance of, of Zimri and how just what his attitude was like. The thing about that is that Zimri's reputation, if you read in other books, was one of being defiant and argumentative. It's actually believed in some, some traditions that Zimri was one of the people that was uh, in the forefront of the golden calf, pressuring Aaron to, to 
put together the, the golden calf when the Ten Commandments, you know, were coming down from the mountain. And the isn't that kind of weird? The children of Israel, forty days Moses is gone. They're like, well, I guess we got to go worship a calf. Yeah. You know, this <laughs> is getting kind of boring. I guess we'll melt all the gold together. Got to worship something. Nobody's laughing at that. That's that's crazy, right? I mean, come on. Sometimes we read the Bible like this. Mm-hmm. Ah. And it's like, what? Are you, are you kidding me? So, so Zimri's reputation was this. And, and I actually found a write-up, some, some information on Zimri. And I want to read this because I was pretty astonished at how much this really feels like culture today. Zimri was ideologically motivated. He and many others before and after him were what may be called inclusionists. Adherents of the philosophy that all spirituality and religious practices are equally valid and should be embraced. Judaism, he believed, should make room within it for other types of spiritual and religious expression, as opposed to what he saw as the extreme exclusionary attitude of Jewish tradition. Zimri believed that non-Jews and non-Jewish forms of worship should be brought into the Israelite camp. It's all one big religion. It's all the same God. No, we worship the same God. It's all the same. How many of y'all hear that all the time? It's false. It's false. And many people are falling into deception, just like this back in the day. Isn't it crazy? It's thousands of years ago this happened, and yet it's the same tactic. It's the same thing. There's not many bullets in the old enemy's gun, but the ones he has are very effective. Deception. So this is where we see where Zimri actually, he leaves, that, he leaves the tabernacle, he goes back to his tribe, he ends up with, uh, with Cosby, they're, they're worshiping Baal together, that's how I'll put it for right now, all right? And um, a plague has started. So at first you had executions taking place by the hand of Moses and his judges, and now God steps in, because whenever Zimri confronted Moses, I believe that that just put things over the edge. And people are dying left and right. And this is where we pick up verse seven. And this is where Phineas comes in. Now his, his name means mouth of brass, which I think is awesome. You know, he's just, he didn't have a silver tongue. He just said it like it was, you know, <laughs> he just, bam. This is where Phineas comes into play. And uh, let's start with verse seven. It says, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, check this out, son of Aaron the priest. Remember I was just talking about Aaron? This is Aaron's grandson. Now, the thing about Phinehas is he's where he should be. He's in the right place. He was staying pure. He was staying holy. He wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. He was at the tabernacle. I think that's, that says a lot. As a young man to stand whenever everything around you is falling and it seems like everybody's doing their own thing or fulfilling their own lusts or whatever it is, to stand and say, no, I'm not gonna be a part of that. And that's, what, that's, what, that's who Phineas is. That's what he's doing right here. But it says, when Phineas saw, saw, that, saw it, he rose and he left the congregation and he took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. The stop. How intense is this? Now, 
he actually, I, you know, I used to think that, that there was just a random tent on the side and, you know, this guy and this girl just randomly walked in front. But really what it is is Phineas, he takes a spear and he, he hides it in his cloak and he makes his way over to the tribe of Simeon. And like I said, in some of these Jewish, uh, Jewish readings, you can see where the people begin to mock him. They're like, oh, Phineas, the guy that's been telling us not to do all this is now here. I guess you're ready to fulfill your lust is what they said. And he's like, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Close. So he makes his way through. I mean, come on. This is a prince, right? The tribe of Simeon. He makes his way through the security. He makes his way and he finds Zimri and this woman. And he takes the spear and he just, he just pierces them. He, he kills them right there. Jabs both of them together at the same time. Very violent. Probably would make a really good movie. Yeah. Am I right? I mean, let's be real about it. Pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Check this out. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Him doing something that was so violent, right? It stopped the plague. God noticed what Phineas did. It says, nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. That's pretty interesting. 24,000 people. Sounds like who Zimri went and grabbed. God doesn't like defiance. You know, one thing, whenever we read the Old Testament, a lot of times it's like, uh, you see where the people are, are, are serving God and doing well, and then all of a sudden they disappoint God and they fall back into idol worship, and then we just see God judges them. But a lot of times that gap, that, that timeline, it might have been an entire generation of people. It might have been 50 years consistently disappointing God, consistently walking on the grace of God. A lot of times we don't see God as a gracious God in the Old Testament, right? When we're reading, we think, oh, wow, it's still cut and dry. But if you really look back, you realize how patient God was with people. And he was very patient with them. But they wouldn't turn. They wouldn't repent. And so Phineas steps in and does what needed to be done. He did, he did what needed to be done. But also there was chaos. So also what happens is Phineas, since he murdered two people, people felt like he needed to be killed. All right? They felt like he needed to be executed according to the law. So can you imagine the chaos that's still in play here? He just had a prince get killed by a priest. Everybody's freaking out. They're like, well, the law says this and that. So I think the law hasn't mattered up until now with you people. <laughs> Why does it matter now, right? They were angry. They wanted, they wanted you know, hey, we got we to gotta take care of business. And I love what God does. We're going to start reading in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say... Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The very thing that sounded like the wrong thing to do was the exact thing that needed to be done. Phineas stepped out and took care of business. Now, we are not going to begin to step out and take care of business like that, all right? 
Let's, this whole types and shadows thing, okay? Or metaphors, right? You're, you're with me. I went to this church the other day, and this guy was talking about taking spears and <laughs> killing people, and it was horrible. I'm never going back there again. No, no. But we can take an Old Testament story, and we can kind of look at it from a different angle, and it can say a lot of things to us. I see nowadays there's a, there's, you know, really if we said the spirit of Zemri, the, the attitude of Zemri and the, and the attitude of Phineas, it's almost a, a positive and negative, a good and a bad at war. And it's always been like that. But how many of you know that it, it's not always the easiest thing to make the decision to follow God, to obey him, but it is always the right one. And it's always the righteous one. And we have a responsibility to do that. The one thing I see about Phineas is that he knew the heart of God. When everybody else around didn't know what to do at that moment, obviously because nobody did anything or they were intimidated, nobody else knew what to do. Zimri was like, I'm about to do something that may look wrong, but I know it's going to be holy. I know it's what God wants. He knew the heart of God. I think a lot of times we don't know decisions to make. We don't know standards and convictions to have. We don't know how to deal with social issues because we really don't actually know the heart of God in the first place. And it's very hard to make decisions based off of our own emotion or our own opinion because that's all that could be left. We've got to know the heart of God. We've got to pray to him. We've got to be, we got to repent of wrong thinking and come back into alignment with scripture even when it's not popular, it's what we have to do. We don't have a choice. Not if we want to stay centered with God, not if we want to stay in the will of God. It's so easy just to get off base. And you know what, nowadays, that, that the whole deception of, that Zimri was involved in, this whole inclusionist mindset is so, it's, it's actually easier. It's easier to be in that vein than it is to be in the exclusive vein, right? But the gospel of Jesus Christ is very exclusive. It's very exclusive. There's one way to God, and it's through Jesus. There's one way, and that's what we believe. That's not unloving, it's truth. Now, we don't say it unlovingly, but it is truth. There's only one way. And it's not always popular, but we've got to know the heart of God. It's very important. Also, we have to be zealous and ruthless about the sin that displeases God. Really, it can be wrapped up in this, no compromise. No compromise. As you walk this thing out with God, as you serve Jesus and, and, and you're in church and, and just life happens, it's so easy for your convictions and your standards and your conscience to erode. I'm building a house right now and uh, we've been doing a lot of work in the, in the yard and the the biggest hurdle has been keeping the dirt in the yard, all right? The flood of 2016 was painful for my yard. And uh, it was amazing to watch. I mean, it's all flat, it looks great. And then all of a sudden, water, water just trickles down and it finds the low point, it finds the weak spot and it just washes all the clay into the ditch. And it's a, it's a mess. And that's what, that's what sin, that's what deception, that's what this life does. If we're not sured up, it just seeps and it finds the soft spot. For some, it's sex. For some, it's money. We have a lot of different soft spots in our life, and it finds that spot. And it doesn't have to work real hard. 
it just kind of eases on down and it begins to erode us and we begin to lose who we are, we begin to lose our identity, we lose everything because there's a soft spot. That's why we need to be ruthless and zealous against sin in our hearts and in our lives. We've got to be. Think back about three years. Think about where you were with God. For some of you, you were really, really like, and now you're, and for some of you, you were non-existent. And now you're just, man, man, I'm just, I love God. I know him. My life is just different. Where are you at? Because there's mountaintops, but there's always valleys, right? And we got to have this spirit of Phineas. I'm telling you, the people around you help you with that. Being yoked together with believers and people that can encourage you in who you are is, is key. Support system. We talk about that a lot because, again, in this day and age, isolation is so trendy. It's so, it sounds so good. I have my own relationship with God. I don't need a building or a group of people. If God had put that in the word, then that would be great. But it's not biblical, all right? We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need what we're doing right now. We need to worship God together. We need to hear the word of God together. We need to be in small groups together. We need to be yoked with people who are like-minded and like-hearted. All right? I'm going to wrap up with this. The chapter before this, you can go back and read it, the couple of chapters before there was a king, the king of Moab, and, and whenever the children of Israel settled in, he got a little freaked out because there was a lot of people. And uh, he was like, oh, man, they're going to they're gonna take us out. You know, we can't go to war with them. We, we're outnumbered. And so he ends up finding this guy, Balaam. He says, I want you to go. He's like a prophet. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to curse the children of Israel. But it's funny because God spoke to him and said, you can't curse them. I've already blessed them. And so the king it's like, no, you're going to go, and you're going you're gonna to curse him. He's like, all right, I'll try. <laughs> and he goes up there, and he tries, and, and he speaks a blessing over them. And this happens a couple different times. And it, it, can you imagine the king? He's like, I'm paying you good money, man. Come on. I need you to curse them. They're going to take us out. But he couldn't. But isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that the very next chapter, they didn't need no swords. They didn't need to go attack them. It wasn't corrupt, the corruptness or of, the, of, the, of the swords of the enemy, right, that could damage the children of Israel, that could take them out. It was the corrupt passions inside of them. And I think a lot of times we're so freaked out and we're always looking at everybody else and, oh, what kind of agenda is coming against the church and where, where, whenever really the only thing that we need to be worried about and praying about and in warfare about as far as that's concerned is what's right here. Yeah, that's, that's a good place. <laughs> Y'all know, we, we talk about it all the time. Don't worry about what people think about you. There ain't nobody that can tell you who you are, blah, 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 blah. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's true. I mean, look, what you think about yourself really has a lot to do with your, your self-confidence and things like that. And I really think it's the same way with, with our walk with God. There's not a lot outside that can really mess with me. It's the weak spots in here. It's the soft spots in my heart that are not shored up in faith. That, that I, that's where I fall. Amen. I think it's really important for us to realize that and know that and, and not fall into the deception. Not allow our praise 
to be deceived to where we begin to worship wrongly. But that we worship God with purity, that we always seek to please him. Are y'all with me on that? Come on, let's bow our heads. God, we love you. God, we are so grateful for your word. God, it always seems to just realign our hearts, get us back where we need to be focused on you. And God, in this place, as we've, as we've, as we've read this story, as we've talked about all these different uh, aspects of the story, God, we see ourselves in many of these places. God, for some of us in this room, we're in deception. We've been listening to the voices of a lot of different people, and it sounds good, and now we're in a place where we really know we're not supposed to be. For some of us, our zeal and our ruthlessness with sin and fighting sin and, and holding on to you, God, has, has waned. Now there's a lot of compromise in our hearts, and we know that we're not where we need to be. God, there's a lot of different situations in here, and you know them all. So God, we place all that we are at your feet. Come on, as we're all here, our eyes are closed, heads bowed. Some of you in this room, you've never actually initiated a relationship with God. You've never prayed to him and submitted your heart and said, God, I'm here for you, I surrender. Forgive me of my sins. Let me have a new start. You've never had that moment. Some of you have, but it was a long time ago and, and it didn't really stick. It didn't really do anything. It, you know it was more lip service and it wasn't really a heart change. I just want to give an opportunity right now. I want to pray with some of you who, who feel like you're separated from God, you're far from God. Is there anybody in here like that? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Right here, over here. Who else? Say, I need Jesus. I need a change in my life. I'm living a life of compromise. Right here. Over here. It's all right. Turning to God is a good thing. Turning to Jesus is a good thing. Come on, I'm going to pray. Just go ahead and agree with this prayer. And I believe God's going to do something great in your life. Lord, I come before you, God, a sinner separated from you. I've been trying this thing on my own, apart from you. And today, I lay that down. And God, I receive you. I receive your salvation through the blood of Jesus that pays the price for my sin. I receive the free gift of salvation. I thank you for your grace, God. I thank you for, for fighting for me whenever I wasn't fighting for you. God, I thank you for pursuing me and I receive you into my life. Purify my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. All that I am is yours and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. 
If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.